0: Thank you. Welcome to Managing Marketing, a weekly podcast where we discuss the issues and opportunities facing marketing, media, and advertising with industry thought leaders and practitioners. Today, I'm sitting down with Belinda Noble, communication strategist and co-founder of Comms Declare. Welcome, Belinda.
1: Hello. Thank
0: you. Well, uh, thanks for making the time. Um, It's now been 12 months since you and Carly um, started Comms Declare. Has it gone quickly?
1: Yeah, it has gone really quickly and it's gone sort of a little bit um, unexpected, obviously, because of COVID. It wasn't great to launch something. Um, We launched in February and (laughs) so it wasn't really Just in time for a pandemic. Just in time. Um, So, yeah, um, the media has been um, chock-a-block with news in the last year and it's been really hard to cut through. I mean, if it wasn't COVID, it was, you know, all sorts of things happening in Canberra and floods and everything else. So, yeah, it has been a a difficult year, but it has gone quickly. And, uh, yeah, I'm actually just thrilled to be through a year (laughs) and and to be able to now reassess and, you know, and look where we're going in the future.
0: Well, look, starting from, you know, day one, you you must feel in on reflection considering those challenges that you've uh, managed to get amazing traction you know you've got over what 300 um people and organizations that have committed to yes. and declared uh, and it must be rewarding on that level
1: yeah it is and uh you know when you when you get depressed about the climate crisis the best thing to do is to take action and uh that's uh one of our motivating factors <laughs> so yeah any success is a good success and uh and you just have to keep going as well you know we, we, we don't have benchmarks going Oh, we have to do this or we'll stop or you know a b testing we won't do this we won't we will do this um it's 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 very much just keep going just keep going um, we, we got on the bike without wheels. Um, you know, we so said we're going to start a movement. We're going to do it inside the comms industry because that's the only one we know. And uh, let's just start. Let's just start and, and stick our heads up over the parapet and and give it a crack. And that, that's really been the um, the, uh, the strategy <laughs> behind it to date.
0: So thinking about, uh, thinking back, and it's over 12 months, Um what was the, the thinking and the motivation to to start Coms to Clear? Because I know other professions, you know, the engineers and, and I think architects and have had these sorts of organisations in recent times. What was the, the motivation or the thinking behind starting Coms to Clear for the climate at that time?
1: So it was obviously after the black summer bushfires, which was quite... Um, I mean, you know, if, you, if you're not going to be inspired to do something about the climate after that, then what's it going to take, let's be honest. Um, you know, um, you know ha- having worked in, in news for, you know, almost 20 years and, and seen you know, disaster after disaster and, and covered bushfires um, and all sorts of, you know, terrible natural disasters, um, the, the bushfires last summer were, were really something else. Um, we'd never seen anything even remotely like that. And, uh, you know, even for people in Sydney were affected. You know, 500 people died as a result just of the smoke, um, let alone the people who died in the flames. Uh, my mother, where she lived, that was um, evacuated twice. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so it, it really hit home. And uh, uh, I was very much inspired by the divestment movement Okay. Um, and seeing uh, a lot of people in the investment industries, um, finance industries move, which which they have been doing, you know, quite considerably for around five years now, five to ten years, um, to see them move and to see them talk about how all the money's in renewables, all the money's out of fossil fuels, you know, uh, climate is a risk, you know, that, that really hard-nosed attitude they had towards it, which was basically, you know, we have to move now or our business is at risk, you know, and that's the way I kind of approached, um, you know, divesting PR, you know, to to work alongside uh, these companies, you know, is a reputational risk. And if you're getting away with it now, you're not going to get away with it in 10 years, you know. Mm -hmm. You're not going to be able to say what you do at the barbecue. Your kids aren't going to (laughs) tell their friends what you do at school, you know. Um, so that that was kind of the um, one way that we tack- were tackling it. Um, the other was that you know mentioned, you know, um, engineers declare. There's also, you know, I think there's surfers declare. There's tradies declare. There's a whole bunch of them now. Um, and that, uh, I guess, is just to get a movement within a particular cohort and, and try and activate people um, along those lines. So... Um, and that was my, my co-founder. That was very much her take on it to to go in from that angle um, as a more of a, a movement, more consensus building, as opposed to more activist and uh, and divestment, which is where I was coming at it from.
0: It's interesting, isn't it? That because uh, you picked up on divesting from uh, fossil fuels, and these are, as you pointed out, the hard nosed business people. These are the ones that have got billions of dollars some even trillions of dollars globally under investment and they're making these views of the future Mm. in a very pragmatic way Mm. and they're saying well you know this is this has basically come to an end game and we have to really start thinking about well where is growth and where is the opportunities and yet you know, that's, you feel like that's almost the, the boardrooms of, you know, the major capitals around the world are making these decisions. And yet on the ground here, when you read the media, and it, it doesn't seem to reflect the same hard-nosed approach to uh, the climate crisis and, and the impact that it has.
1: Well, the front page is also very, also very different to the business section, you know, and, and the Australian is the, the classic example of that. You know, their front page will be anti, um, you know, well, today it was all anti-Malcolm you know, yeah.
0: <laughs> Who was appointed to, uh, you know, helping navigate uh, New South Wales through, you know, how to get growth in the new sustainable economy.
1: And then got sacked. Yeah. Right? So you know because he For said person, oh, His end personality. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, his, his personality is one one factor, but also how dare he say end coal as the head of a, a group to get to net zero. But anyway, so yeah, that, that that's what they've got at the front. But the back is you know it, it's totally about you know people getting out of fossil fuels. It's totally about job losses at oil and gas companies, um, and then you've got obviously you know, uh, groups like the Investor investor Group on Climate Change, they've got $2 trillion worth of assets. Um, And there's more, you know, there's more in Europe just sitting over there waiting to be invested once Australia has the right policies in place. Mm. It's just sitting there. It's going to explode.
0: Absolutely, it must be uh, sort of ironic for you, having worked as a jobbing journalist, you know, and and uh, writing you know these stories, and then uh, moving into comms because you know you're a comms strategist. You work with a lot of organisations. That the power of comms, you know, the ability to write stories and to inform people and engage them in in uh, you know in the issues of the day. Uh, is so powerful, isn't it? I mean, in many ways, it's a privilege to have that sort of role.
1: Yeah, I, I wish I'd known in my 20s <laughs> when, I was, when I was reporting, you know, the amount of power that is, you know, in those jobs. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I look at what goes to air now with, with great dismay um, about the, the news values and the fact that they're still doing the same bulletins they were doing 50 years ago. Same, you know, mix of news, you know, that bleeds at Leeds and, and everything else. And, you know, <laughs> um, you know and, and the approach to those, those bigger, more structural, difficult issues is, is just the same. It's, it's worthy but boring. And, and I really believe climate change is sort of in that area um, for journalists. Um, or editors?
0: Because it's hard to actually visualise for people. And you hear, you know, because I know talking to, you know, people in the industry, they're largely left with, oh, it's such a big issue, but what can I do about it? You know, or there's this disconnection that they feel about actually being able to be proactive.
1: And it, yeah, it, it, it's difficult to explain and it always has been difficult to explain because science is never finished, as you as you would know, with your background, you know, it, there's always a little element of, of something that needs more um, discussion or more study or more data. So it, it is really hard to explain. But then again, it's not hard to explain because, you know, you, you've got these incredible impacts, these, you know, the bushfires, floods and everything else. Um, Yet there's an incredible lack of joining the dots. Mm. You know, people aren't joining the dots. You've had, you know, big erosion events all the way down um, the East Coast and the West Coast. You know, they're losing beaches and yet they don't mention climate change. You know, they don't mention the (laughs) melting of the polar ice caps. Like, guys, (laughs) put two and two together, you know what I'm saying? But it's it's never reported that way.
0: Well, and... Language has been such a, you know, a a tricky part of this because, you know, I remember when the issue first arose, it was called global warming. Remember, everyone was talking about how the the globe is increasing in temperature. And then people would say, well, how much? And it was like 0.1 of a degree or half a degree or one. And and it didn't seem that significant. And then there'd be uh, climate changes that went... Well, you know, it was 40 degrees or 45 degrees and that's ridiculously hot. But look what's happening in Canada where they're at minus 36. So that can't be uh, global warming Mm -hmm. because it's actually really cold. Mm -hmm. You know, it it made it difficult, the the language itself. And then we landed on climate change. And I, I think there's still people that go, of course, the climate changes. You know, summer it's hot, winter it's cold.
1: Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah but,
0: but you can see that you know, yes. the language has really struggled to communicate exactly what the crisis is.
1: It really has. And there's a story, I don't know if it's true, that because um, people were calling it global warming and that was actually cutting through. And you had a, a time in the 90s when the IPCC was really um, getting traction and they're about to put really strong um, restrictions on, on fossil fuels. And then um, the Bush administration did some testing. So the story is, and and found that um, uh, climate change was a little less scary. Yeah. You know, and a little more. Um, have you heard that story?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. In fact, so. I've even seen it played out in a movie or a documentary. <laughs> yeah, right. They they showed the uh, the focus groups and they were running past you know different uh, scenarios to find the one that had the least. Uh, impact.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, so climate change is—it's probably more accurate, to be fair, um, and it's um, less scary. But you're right. People confuse climate with weather. Like weather changes yeah. on a day-to-day basis, but climate is—is is, you know those longer change, longer-term changes.
0: Uh, uh, but uh, the only reason I raise that is it goes back to the whole comms issue. Which is comms is about using language, to be able to you know engage and change people's perceptions, and yet even if the experts and the governments are struggling with how to explain it, mm-hmm. it must be incredibly difficult for uh, communications people.
1: Yeah, I learned a lot along the way. I think there's a lot of a lot of scaremongering to start with, which just put people off and made people just too scared or just just feel like you're saying too inert, like too powerless. It was too big. We can't do anything about it. So I think that's been um, dialed down quite a bit by activists. It's um a lot of going just for positive, positive language, talking about the opportunities, talking about the jobs. And I guess we're seeing that right now with Biden, you know, with his um Thrive bill. Yeah. Um and the and the job opportunities, which I think is a really great way to be framing it.
0: Well, we know that uh, people respond better to optimism than they do to fear. Fear is inclined to shut down people. So uh, it's interesting how it's changed because we're getting a lot of fear mongering now coming from the pro fossil fuel area with stories like, well, without fossil fuels, there'd be no, you know, you can't guarantee electricity and, you know, Mm. you'd lose your air conditioning in the Mm. summer and things like that. Mm. So it seems like the, the, you know, anti climate crisis group is now trying to use fear.
1: Well, they're trying to use both. You know, I think that, that they sort of position themselves as the sensible side of the debate. Which is just so ironic. <laughs> you know, that's it. you know, the the fact that um, you know, we, we, we need these these um, sources of energy to power the economy or we'll go broke. You know, it's it's you know, it's 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 kind of fear, but it's also Let's just be sensible. They've always been, you know, these these fossil fuels, you know, we need them for the economy. They've been here for a long time. They're going to be for for longer and, you know, stop being really emotional and, and greeny about it. So they've kind of adopted that stand. You see that a lot um, in in media as well by the sort of the particular commentators, you know, we're the sensible ones. We're not the, the green left weirdos, you know, latte sipping, blah, blah, blah. Um which is, which is, like I said, ironic because it's not backed by fact at all.
0: Well, you know, you said latte sipping. I remember that when I read that, uh, that global warming and the climate crisis was actually going to mean that coffee. Uh, Bean yields would decrease, uh, and the price of coffee would go up. I'm thinking, oh my, my daily coffee is going to be more expensive. Oh, that's she definitely a risk. Re- yeah, that's, <laughs> that's definitely a reason to do so. But you know, massive bushfires, flooding, uh, coastal erosion, you know, destructive uh, storms. None of that's as important as my daily coffee.
1: That's right. And then, you know, the, the wine industry having to move further south to, to make the good wine still, you know. There's, exactly. There's cold climate. You know, it's a, it's, it's, it's a disaster. It's a disaster. <laughs> and, you know, maybe when um, alcohol prices in the parliamentary dining room go up um, in Canberra, they'll finally <laughs> realise there's something happening outside.
0: Oh, I don't know they're they're pretty happy with their uh, their mudgy wines, you know that they come from a warmer climate you know. Mm. they're not all drinking Tasmanian wines. Mm, but how much bikes, further south can you go than yeah. Tasmania? <laughs> right. back to the um the power of uh, mm. comms I like the idea that you know persuasion and that's you know a lot of people in the comms industry don't like that term mm. persuasion because you know it it really, Communications is about using it to persuade people to a particular point of view. I'm talking about comms rather than journalism, which has yep. a, there's there's different arguments there. But, you know, in most cases, as a professional communications person, you're engaged by your clients to put a certain point of view. And that with great, I love the Peter Parker principle, with great power comes great responsibility. That goes to the heart of really about what comms declares about, isn't it? For people, comms people, to actually declare for the climate and use that persuasion or that power for good rather than uh, for evil.
1: Yeah, that's right. Um, And I guess, you know, it's understandable when you get a brief, you know, if you get a brief from BP and they're saying, oh, we're investing you know, 20 million in windmills or wind power and you think, oh, that's great, you know, of course we're going to promote that. You know, that, that's what you do. You get a brief, you promote the bits that you know the, the audience is going to respond to. But what's not happening is that you're then, you know, you're not looking at their annual report and seeing that 20 million or whatever it is is only, you know, point zero 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 one percent of their capital expenditure that year. And I think that's what we have to do. Um, uh, one, one, one Join the dots on our briefs and on our clients, and and I guess let them know what is going to pass the pub test, mm. and 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 what isn't, because that that's moving all the time. It's moving quite rapidly, I think. I don't know what you think, but I think it's um, what you could get away with five, ten years ago, you certainly can't get oh. away with now.
0: And that's the point, isn't it? That you know the spin, the mm. people, yeah. If you get away with spin, it's only for a short amount of time. You know, we've seen so many brands, especially, you know, um, uh, come foul of movements that are willing to stand up and hold them accountable, and and definitely use social media, for instance, to uh, to hold them accountable for the spin that they're trying to put on the. the you know, uh, we've got Nestle with uh, uh, rainforest. Or deforestation in uh, Indonesia in the um, in Sumatra for palm oil plantations, we've got uh, yeah, many of the manufa- uh, clothing manufacturers being held accountable for uh, you know basically sl- modern slavery as a part of their supply chain. Uh, it has to also apply for you know having sustainable um, environmentally sustainable practices as well.
1: Yeah, so I think practitioners have to look at what they would normally do, and and you know um, discuss it with their clients. You know, is is this the ethical thing to do? Is this going to wash? You know, um, can we just promote this small bit of what we're doing and and ignore the rest? You know, and still maintain some credibility. Um, you know, and I I love the the analogy with fossil fuels and tobacco. Um, you know, I find that something that really um, cuts through with people because they know that it's it's not okay to work on a tobacco account, you know, in the main. <laughs> you know, obviously, there's still some people doing it. But, you know, you don't work on tobacco because it's deadly because the the industry promoted denial and, you know, um, 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 you know, sort of worked the system so they could keep pushing their products, you know, 20, 30, 40 years after we knew that it was causing cancer. Um, and then they promoted delay and they came up with menthol, you know, and now instead of menthol cigarettes, we've got, you know, the same thing with fossil fuels. It's deadly, like yeah. It's deadly. Well, right? now they've Fossil gone into vaping. Oh, they're
0: vaping. Now you can vape and that's vape. Uh, not going to have the health that's consequences right. that uh, smoking tobacco has. Yeah,
1: but, but they've promoted denial. Now they're promoting delay through vaping um, or, you know, menthol, you know, which yeah. is, I guess, the equivalent of gas.
0: Well, it's interesting. Um, sorry, sorry, Blinda. It's interesting you should say that because I remember a conversation very clearly about five years ago with a very senior marketer that was working for one of the tobacco companies. And they talked about dark markets and light markets. And dark markets were like Australia, which had very strong regulatory controls about what they could and couldn't do, and that the lighter markets were the ones where there was less government control. You know especially parts of Asia, Eastern Europe, places like that, where they were still significantly influencing their ability to keep those markets open through you know, financial contributions and in quote sponsorships and things like that. Mm-hmm. The interesting part for me was we got onto a conversation about what was it like for them socially. And they suddenly got really awkward. And I said, well, what do you mean? They said, well, imagine you're out socially and it comes to a discussion around, well, what do you do? Oh, I'm in marketing. Oh, what product or brand do you work on? Oh, tobacco. <laughs> <laughs> and they were really embarrassed. And yeah. they said, suddenly you became a prior. You know, the, the social, what do you call it? Social, social license. license yeah. The social license had been taken away from being able to work in that industry and be seen as acceptable
1: and that took 20 30 40 years to happen
0: we haven't got that time with the climate <laughs> we've well, we've
1: had more than 30 40 years i yeah. mean we, we knew about this stuff you know in the 50s we knew about it we knew about global warming then the oil companies knew about it um, but yeah the the light the <laughs> the light countries you know australia is one of those light countries for fossil fuels, yeah. um, you know, along with Indonesia and Brazil, Saudi Arabia, you know, we're right up there. We're, we're a very light target at the moment for those companies.
0: Um, well, because uh, I guess our economy, you know, on the surface relies so heavily on mining, not so heavily on the export of you know fossil fuels. We export a huge amount of uh, natural gas lovely term, natural gas, mm-hmm. um, and, and coal, you know, to the rest of the world.
1: Mm-hmm. Which I think, um, you know, I, I really want to make the distinction between mining and, and fossil fuels. You know, we, we've got nothing against mining and it, it, it's, it's unfortunate they always get wrapped up together, you know. Um, I mean, obviously, mining creates a lot of greenhouse gases, but it's nothing compared to what we get with the, the LNG and the coal that we're exporting Um, You know, um, Australia's scope three through our exports is, you know, Mm. amazingly high and will become higher as everyone else reduces, you know. So in 10 years, you know, we could be up to a third of all coal and gas. Like, it's insane.
0: So just expand on that because, you know, there's a lot of misconception. You know, I've heard... So many uh, politicians and and people in the media say, oh, Australia's contribution is relatively small compared to countries, you know, and they point to China and India usually. But in actual fact, they're just talking about CO2 and and greenhouse gas emissions in Australia. Mm -hmm. You're talking about when we export fossil fuels to other markets, we're not... Australia is not held accountable for the CO two emissions because they weren't admitted in Australia and they get burnt overseas. Yeah. Is that right?
1: Yeah. So our, our um, I hope I get these figures right, but uh, Australia's emissions are tiny. I mean, they are tiny. You know, I think it's one point three of the of the global or whatever. Um, but that's not where the problem is. It's it's our it's our exports. Um, so BHP, for example, I think it was in 2016, their uh, greenhouse gas pollution was larger than all of Australia.
0: Right? <laughs> so they,
1: they had more ga- greenhouse gas pollution than 24 million Australians. Like, that's the scale. Um,
0: they are the big Australian. They? <laughs> they are the big Australian. <laughs> in fact, they're so big, they're bigger than Australia. Yes, yeah,
1: that's right. <laughs> when it comes and
0: to uh, greenhouse gas emissions.
1: And that's just one of them. And they're not even the biggest. Yeah. You know? They're not even near the biggest. So... You know, it's really our scope three and I think, you know, again, you know, talking to, to marketers and PR people, um, when you're looking at your clients, um, you know, c- consider that. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's the, what you're allowing them to do, what, how you're allowing them to delay action, how you're allowing them to stay, um, you know, popular or keep that social license in the community and with politicians and everything else through all the methods they use um, you know, sponsorships, donations, um, you know, all the rest of it. Um, by allowing them to continue to do that, you're actually preventing them from from stopping their, their incredibly damaging business.
0: Mm. And we're also, by putting a focus on those businesses and talking about needing to sustain them, we're distracting people from what we should be doing, which is actually developing new sustainable opportunities to replace them. You know, that's the other sad part is that while you try and uh, put so much energy into maintaining the status quo, you're often doing it at the expense of, you know, that future, the future, investing in the future and and making the opportunities for the future um, happen.
1: Yeah, and it, it is happening. I mean, in spite of government taking government away and, their you know, their woeful policies... You no, know, the the transition um, with solar and wind in Australia is extraordinary. Like we're the biggest uh, um, uptake of uh, solar and wind in the world by a long way, um, completely ignoring <laughs> federal government policies, just gone over the top of it, it's leapfrogged it, you know, yeah. essentially because of the economics, because of the technology, is just, you know, leaps and bounds. And then, you know, you've got Twiggy Forest talking about hydrogen and there's huge power lines, you know, exporting, you know, solar to Asia and stuff like that. Like, it's just astounding that we're not seeing the focus on that in the media that we're seeing on, you know, 300 coal jobs. You know, no offence to people in, you know, who are working in coal, but we're not talking about many jobs in comparison to what we could be talking about if we, you know, become a hydrogen exporter, for example.
0: Exactly. Um, and it would join all the other things that we export as well, you yeah, know, such as iron ore. I believe iron ore is the thing that's keeping the Australian economy in the in surplus at sure the is, moment. yeah. And
1: don't, <laughs> and don't the Chinese art? know it? Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> but uh, so I read a number of. I think there's around fifteen thousand is the estimate of communications professionals across all aspects you know everything from uh, public relations to media to to marketing and advertising uh, in in Australia what is the opportunity what 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 will people get for themselves personally either on an emotional or practical level by actually joining comms declare and declaring that they're making a stand for the climate and then secondly, Uh, what's actually involved in doing it.
1: Okay. So what will they get? Well, they'll get a lovely, nice, fuzzy feeling. You know, that's very important.
0: Which is not a bad thing. (laughs) I mean, there's not not a lot of good things to, you know, not a lot of things to feel great about sometimes.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's a um, very easy thing to do. Um, You know, um, I guess... Yeah, apart, apart from knowing that you're doing what's right, um, knowing you're going to be on the right side of history, you're also positioning yourself well to take advantage of, of these new industries, to position yourself as someone who is forward-thinking, not backward-thinking, and someone who's going to be ahead of the curve, you know, um, you know, a disruptor as opposed to someone who's going to be disrupted. You know, I think that's the opportunity. You know, it's looking forward, not back. Um, and positioning yourself and your organisation that way. Um, plus, I think for your your clients, um, you know, um, how how would you feel if you're, you know, a hydrogen company or a huge solar company or an EV company, and and you want someone to do their PR for you, but you know they're also an apologist um, for the fossil fuel lobby, you know? You, I don't see how anyone would take that business. You know, it's a conflict. Yeah. So um, it, to me it makes good business sense as well in, in that regard, apart from the warm fuzzies that, of course, are extremely important. <laughs> um, in terms of how to uh, declare, um, what we ask is that people uh, declare that they won't promote the growth of fossil fuels, um, high greenhouse gases pollution as business as usual, or deceptional spin on science or climate. It's a pretty easy pledge to take, I reckon. In um, particular, we say um, we're not promoting the growth of fossil fuels, understanding that some industries rely on fossil fuels at the moment. Um, so as long as you're not you know, promoting an extension of a coal mine or asking people to fly more or doing something like that, we're actually... Increase fossil fuel use. Um, you're on a on a good position. Um, I think most people would be in that position. To be honest, mm. um, and obviously deception or spin around around um, climate, um, which is you know difficult to explain. But uh, I think everyone listening will understand <laughs> what's deception and spin, and and what uh, you know, and what. Um, is the right thing and an open and honest and wholly transparent thing to do in in regards to your work.
0: Well, look, you know, because I declared personally and also declared for the company Trinity P3. But the thing that I got uh, that I get most out of it is a sense of belonging to a community. You know, one of the things that uh, and I touched on it before is there's a positivity. In one level, because we're all talking about achieving a, the ultimate aim, which is to you know, solve the climate crisis using the skill sets that we have as communicators. But I also find it incredibly educational as well. There are so many things that come out of that community, just you know nuances around language, uh, pointing me towards areas where people are being misleading and deceptive you know, how the spin actually works. You think as a comms professional, you know all these things. But in actual fact, there's always something to learn about the the tricks of the trade that other people are using mm. that you may not be completely aware of. And I find that fascinating as someone that's worked in comms for, you know, more than 30 years, that there's still things to learn. So, you know, that's, that's what we get out of it or the, what I personally get out of it. That's
1: lovely to hear. Um, and I, I think since, since I've been working, um, not working, but, you know, active in this space, um, the people I've met in, in the climate space are some of the smartest people I've ever met. You know, they're, they're, they're super smart, they're super switched on, um, very dedicated, very passionate. So it's a good bunch to be around, mm. you know, even if you're not being paid. <laughs> but the money will come, I'm sure. But, um,
0: well, maybe you'll just need to find one of those really good investments in the future and jump on early and, yeah, and then absolutely. the big payday will come.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah, it's interesting you're talking about those tactics. Um, I don't know if you've heard of Ivy Lee. No. Um, who's known as the um, the father of PR. Um, and he, he he sent what is believed to be the first press release. Um And uh, he worked for Rockefeller in in America in the early 1900s. And after Rockefeller um, sent in um, uh, armed guards to basically massacre the um, miners, striking miners and their families um, in what is known as the Ludlow Massacre, um, after Rockefeller did that and became one of the most hated men in America, Ivy Lee helped restore his reputation. (laughs) Through PR. Through PR. (laughs) So got him to go down with the people, meet them, get his photo taken, you know, um, giving money to different causes, sponsoring art galleries, you know, um, all these things, you know, setting up fact sheets to journalists, all this stuff that hadn't really happened much before and um, helped rehabilitate his... um, his image, Rockefeller's image. And, um, you know, and I think that's a that's a good story because it's um, it shows how not only how the tools of PR are used um, to protect fossil fuels, but also that these um, these companies that do really bad things, you know, tell you that they're part of the solution and they're not. And they're still doing that. They're still telling us they're part of the solution, part of the good energy future. And they're not. <laughs> they're just not. So you know, but this PR machine, this, those still those tricks, those old tricks are still being used to give us that message. You know, hundred years later.
0: And so I think you know because there's now uh, generations that are you know the, we we talk about Generation Y and the Millennials and and Generation Z. Uh, we're always hearing that they're much more interested in making a better future for themselves. They're also the ones that are heavily using social media to hold you know, power accountable. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how much longer they, the the machine can hold up to the power of social media once uh, once you take that cover off and so, show it. Uh, I said before the Peter Parker principle. You know, with great power comes great responsibility. In some ways, Comms declares an opportunity for people working in Comms to actually declare that they're going to use those skills for good, rather than for uh, maintaining this the the evil status quo. Yeah. I How think, do people live with themselves? Well, <laughs> uh, you know,
1: I, I don't I don't feel I, I don't feel animosity towards people that have been in, in these industries, I mean, for one, they're great jobs, right? Mm. I mean, the the woman that got sacked from Rio Tinto after Duke and George, the head of mm-hmm. corporate affairs, she was on $3 million a year, you know. <laughs> they pay well. <laughs> they pay well. They're probably great fun, you know, heaps of, you know, issues and, you know, lots of resources and stuff like that. So they're probably great jobs. So you can't blame people for having a go. But, you know, we, we know too much. We know too much now and, you know, um, you either get out or you make sure if you're in that you're making a big bloody difference to make it worthwhile. You know, if, if you're in the tent with some of these companies, you know, you really need to be start agitating and, and working from within.
0: I know um, being part of uh, the Ethics Centre through the Ethics Alliance and the, the issues that came up with the banking industry and the Banking Royal Commission, they said there were people that could actually separate their professional type work from themselves. You know, that's the things that I do when I go to the office and this is the way I believe as an individual. It's actually quite almost uh, sociopathic to be able to separate those two, you know, to think that you can justify all sorts of things that would be Abhorrent to you as an individual, but the things that you needed to do to do your job mm. can be two separate things. I mean, it does come down increasingly to being a matter of ethics, doesn't
1: it? Well, it's horrible that people have to make those decisions with these companies. <laughs> I mean, the is actually putting you in a position where you have to rip off little old ladies and sell them you know insurance that they don't need, <laughs> you know what it's um. You know, you've got a sort of a group thing going on where, you know, people are just, you know, think one particular way and, and no other um, influences are coming in, which are, I guess you get in comms because it's quite tight, isn't it? Mm. You know, comms marketing, it's a, it's a tight little um, so, um, community. So you might um, see a bit of that creeping in as well.
0: Well, I think you touched on it before, you know, if you pay someone enough money, maybe you can buy their ethics, if not their morals,
1: because
0: that's, that's, that's we've certainly seen some very high profile, especially in the media, some high profile people uh, jump ship from uh, pushing a perspective that they just find uh, totally incompatible with their own ethical standing. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think the most high profile would have to be um, James Murdoch. Yeah. <laughs> He Quite resigned right. from the board. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. he's still got the shareholdings, so you could argue that it was, it's a, uh, you know, a, a, a bit of a paper tiger because he still uh, profits from it. But he did resign from the board because of his uh, uh, discomfort with the the editorial position that they take. And, and uh, Yeah, uh,
1: I, but that's not the only side. I mean, uh, obviously, comms people, you know, uh, are often not paid very well, you know, the junior level. Um, you know, wages haven't gone up much in, you know, 10, mm-hmm. 20 years, and there's not much security of of um of uh, employment either. So don't want to be too hard on people, you know. <laughs> I don't want to be too hard. If you're if you're in your twenties and you're in a company that's doing bad things, you know. Of course, have a go at changing it. But at the same time, you might, you know, it's totally understandable you're not in a position to quit your job.
0: Well, or at least come and sign up and declare with Comms Declare.
1: Yes, you can sign up privately uh, to all those people who work at um, WPP agencies or Edelman. You can sign up (laughs) privately and uh, we will never reveal um, who you are and you can work behind the scenes. Please do.
0: Well, Linda, thanks for making the time. To uh, to come and have a chat about uh, what you've been doing, Uh, all uh, on a volunteered basis. (laughs) You've uh, clearly clearly put uh, what's doing right ahead of uh, what's doing profitably. But uh, thanks very much.
1: Thank you.
0: Thanks for having me. Oh, just one last question. Do you think there's a single person in Australia that is holding uh, the work needed to change the climate crisis in this country? And if so, who is it?